On the latest episode of the The Sam D Podcast, the Dubs have done it. The Golden State Warriors are your 2022 NBA champions. How the hell did they pull this off in six games? We'll talk about it. How many more lottery picks will it take for the Celtics to win a Larry OB? How come nine wasn't enough? We'll get there. I will make the case for why Andrew Wiggins was really the finals MVP. You know what type of time I'm on. The agenda lives. And while everyone is focusing on Steph Curry's legacy being cemented and the offense that the Warriors have been predicated on this whole alleged dynasty, I'll explain why it's been the defense, especially in this championship, that turned the tide in the series. All of that and more on the latest episode of the The CMD Podcast. Hello and welcome to the The CMD Podcast. I am your host, Sam Dusmay Jr., Follow me on, yeah, still pretty much sure that's the Elon app, at the CMD, that's T-H-E-E-S-A-M-D. Podcast is also up there at the CMD Podcast, all one word. For all content, audio, and visual, hit up thecmd.com. Subscribe to the podcast, five stars, nothing less, tell a friend. Podcast available on all major podcasts and platforms, including the Purple app and the Rogan app. Musical production done by Mayfirst Music. Support him at soundcloud.com slash Music. I feel like the only options was to get vaccinated or not play in the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was a tough decision. Um, hopefully, you know, it works out in the long run. In 10 years, I'm so healthy. <laughs> What do you think Andrew Wiggins will be more mad about in 10 years? The fact that he got vaxxed or the fact that he got robbed for finals MVP? I mean, I'm here today. We going to talk about it. Hat man went out there and was on that Kyrie. He was on that Tybal not trying to get vaxxed. Wardell... Clay, Draymond, Iguodala pulled that boy to the side and said, if you out your goddamn mind, you know how close we are to a chip? If you don't get your silly ass out there and get vaxxed, you want to align yourself with Kyrie and Tybal? Look what getting vaxxed can do for you. (laughs) And I know some of y'all been skating, not getting vaxxed, been out here playing Russian roulette with your immune system. I understand. I get it. And some of y'all might have gotten unscathed. Might have survived the Rona, survived the pandemic without catching it or catching it with minimal <laughs> symptoms and circumstances. But imagine being A. Wiggins and turning down a chip. Turning down a chip because he didn't want to get a shot. <laughs> he should be more mad about the fact that he was single-handedly the reason single-handedly the reason 
why the Warriors got this latest championship. Yo, Fandle. I told you! I told you! <laughs> Yo, FanDuel. I told you! I told you! In December. I told you! In December. I told you! I told you! I told you! I told you! Plus 600. I told you! I told you! I told you! I told you! Oh, boy. So the Dubs get it done. Dubs in six. Dubs. In six, the NBA season has come to a close. Wardell has his finals MVP. And good Lord, can they stop propping this man up to be top five? Can they stop? Will they ever stop? And now the talk is, now they're on the cusp of a dynasty. We're already in a dynasty, allegedly, four chips in eight years. But now, allegedly, they're now on the cusp of doing another run. Weissman, Moses Moody, and your man's Kaminga are going to usher in a new era of Dubs basketball that's going to elongate the end of the careers of the core guys of Steph, Clay, the habitual nut hitter. And I guess we got to throw Iggy back in this mix now. So all the talk is how, uh uh-oh, be careful, the Dubs might have another run in them. Meanwhile, your man's A-Wiggins did the unthinkable. And you know I'm not Mr. Stat Guy, but the fact that it was unanimous that Wardell got the finals MVP is an absolute travesty. An absolute travesty. Now, Steph has all the key, the marquee plays, especially in games four and game six. So I understand while the hype, the hype beast nature of this culture has pushed the wave of just it's automatic. You have to give it to him. And I've been saying in each one of these recaps, if the Dubs win, they are going to give it to Wardell. The problem is that when you look at the case I'm about to make for A. Wiggins, tell me how they still just handed it over to Steph without any shadow of a doubt, without even bringing up A. Wiggins in the conversation for finals MVP. So let's start with the other team's best player. Now, I still feel that's Jalen Brown, but by the masses on the outside, if you go down the timeline, if you talk to the Blue Check Boys, they gush over Jason Tatum. Even though Jalen Brown led the team in scoring, Tatum took more shots. (laughs) That sounded like Wiggins at the Timberwolves. (laughs) Is Tatum a low budget or a high budget? Wow, is he a luxury A. Wiggins? Ooh! Ooh! <laughs> but he think he can me that. <laughs> but let's look at the case for A. Wiggins to be finals MVP, Jason Tatum. Let's run down his shooting in the Eastern Conference playoffs. First round against Brooklyn, shot 46% from the field, 54% effective field goal percentage. EFG for all you analytics nerds. So 46% from the field, 54 EFG. Second round against Giannis and them against the Bucks, 42% from the field, 51% EFG. And against Miami in the Eastern Conference Finals, 46% from the field, 54% again, EFG. 
FG. Do you want to know what he shot in the finals? Do you want to know what A. Wiggins did to this man in the finals? 36% from the field. So went from 46 against the Heat to 36 against the Dubs. 45% EFG. So after going 54, 51, 54 to get to the finals, all the way down to 45 in the NBA finals. Make it make sense. You want more? I got more. In each playoff round in the Eastern Conference playoffs, Tatum went for 30 plus multiple times. Each series, 30 plus points, multiple times. He didn't even drop 30 once in the finals. Not once in the finals. You want more? I can give you more. Everyone goes crazy about Steph's impact on the floor and the habitual nut hitters talking about how he got double teamed all over the floor and it opens things up and this, that, and the third. Okay, well, Wardell's offensive rating when he was on the floor per 100 possessions, the Warriors were 6.8 points better. So per 100 possessions, the Warriors with Steph on the floor as opposed to off they were 6.8 points better. That's what their offensive rating was. Do you want to know what the Warriors' offensive rating was when A. Wiggins was on the floor? 9.4 points better when A. Wiggins was on the floor. You're going crazy about Wardell. Crazy about Steph handing him finals MVP. Meanwhile, on the one end where Curry's supposed to be elite at, immortal at, he's top five all time now. A. Wiggins was better offensively. And do you want to get to the defensive rating? Do I even need to go to the defensive ratings? The hell with it. Let's do it. Wardell, via the blue check boys, got a lot of props of, oh, he's playing good defense. He's more engaged. He really wants it. He's not Swiss cheese. They're not hunting him. All lies, by the way. But that was the narrative. Some would say a trash narrative, and that will be added to season three. But in this particular series, defensive rating with Steph Curry on the floor. They were .3 better. Yes, you heard that correct. It's an actual 0.3 better defensively when Wardell was on the court. Do you want to guess what A. Wiggins' defensive rating was when he was on the court? Something like just a 3.8. So not only was his defensive rating better on the court compared to Steph, which should be a given, but even offensively, A. Wiggins' offensive rating was better on the floor than off the floor compared to Steph. What are we talking about? A. Wiggins got robbed. Absolutely robbed. Just because he didn't 
put his hands to his head like he's sleeping just because he didn't pull at Aaron Donald and point to his ring finger to get the slow motion moments just because he didn't do any of that. Just because his parents weren't sitting front row caught up in a entanglement scandal. Just because all of that stuff doesn't apply to A. Wiggins, but it applies to Wardell. Here we are. A. Wiggins pops hoop too, you know. A. Wiggins' moms was an athlete in college too, you know. But we don't care about that. We got to care about little t-shirts about man's wife who can't cook, allegedly. That's more sexy than a wing that went out here and not only dominated the other team's best wing, allegedly, but then went and contributed major minutes plus boards and points in every single game. When Wardell was taking the night off in game five and his legs were still in the TD Garden in Boston, eight Wiggins was out there giving you 20-plus double-doubles. Yet here we are talking about a man who's putting people to sleep, allegedly, when he's not even the best offensive rating on the floor on a team that's been talked about in terms of offensive prowess over these four chips out of eight years. Don't chat to me about no damn Wardell in the finals MVP. It was handed to him. It wouldn't have mattered what he would have did in game six. He could have had another subpar game five type performance, and they still would have handed it to him unanimously. How often do you see a player make this type of impact on both ends of the floor? You know, on the Elon app, I said, yo, this Wiggins performance is more impressive than what Eagle Dollar did against LeBron to get the finals MVP in 2015. And I still stand by it because Eagle Dollar wasn't doing no 27 and 15 or whatever like Wiggins was doing in game five. Or even the 20 plus and double did like the double doubles that Wiggins was getting off in games four and five. And then still being impactful in a clinching game in game six, Eagle Dollar wasn't doing that. He was just playing good defense, being a solid role player. Wiggins was the second best warrior offensively this entire series and the best defender for the Warriors this entire series. We know damn well Wardell is not as impactful on defense as A. Wiggins. The combo game basketball is a two-way sport. Yet we're highlighting a one-way player over a two-way player. And I'm here for all the smoke. I'm here for any feedback. Tell me what makes what Wardell did over six games where he had a shitty game five more impactful than what Wiggins did for all six games consistently being there night in, night out, offensively and defensively, and even killing the glass. You tell me. And this gets into my next point, man. Look, the Celtics out here with no point guard. Marcus Smart has proven to not be a real point guard, but it's not like we needed this series to figure that out. The glaring hole for the Boston Celtics is always going to be who's going to be the facilitator. Who's going to orchestrate the offense? 22 more turnovers for Boston in a series-clinching game at the crib. Elimination game at the crib, 22 turnovers? Come on, man. And let's not bring up the fact that the Celtics were only 500 at home in the whole playoffs. 500 in the playoffs. A team that was a two seed in the East was only 500 in the playoffs. And with those 22 turnovers, you have to look at the Warriors defense. And I'm going to sound like a broken record, but what A. Wiggins was able to do defensively was amazing. You're going to look at 
Wardell and look at the threes and look at the moments that he created to cement his legacy, allegedly. And you're going to get wrapped up in that. But all the hype about all these threes, all this hype of how players are bigger, stronger, faster, more fundamentally sound. Today's game is better than the game from 15, 20 years ago. The final score of game six was 103 to 90. That's a score you can find in any era. So all this talk of how the threes are just so proficient. Players are so much better. The scoring output is at levels we've never seen before. 103 to 90. That was your game six Larry OB clinching score. 103 to 90. And if you really want to break it down, the Warriors held Boston to 100 or less points in five out of the six games. So a team in the regular season that was hitting threes and bunches like the Celtics gets all the way to the NBA Finals and can't crack 100 more than once in six games? But I know, fundamentally sound, bigger, stronger, faster, better. They can't crack 100 in the Finals. And if you want to get at Udoka and chastise his coaching, I don't think Steve Kerr outcoached him in this series. I think, like I've been saying this this entire NBA Finals run, I think the better team beat the team with more talent. The better teams who has a system and a scheme that they lock into and marinate in and will refuse to be moved out of it, beat the team with seven, eight, nine lottery picks that kind of just freestyle it. Udoka and this unnecessary switching. And you finally caught Breen. I don't know if it was Van Gundy or Breen in game six. There was a play where Marcus Smart and Horford just switched off. And it wasn't even a screen and roll. Wasn't even a screen and roll. Wasn't even a pick and roll. It was just, I think it was uh, Steph and Looney. Steph and Looney was side by side. Steph with the rock, of course. And just because they were that close and they assumed the pick was coming, Marcus Smart switched off and Al Horford picked up Steph. Automatically. And of course, Steph did what he did, take 20 dribbles and then finally get by Horford and finish at the rim with a layup. And that happened time after time after time. I'm like, why are you switching? If Marcus Smart is depoy, if you have guys like Grant Williams... Why are you switching? It was unnecessary, and that's been the trend. Look, I've been banging this drum on this pod for years about how the league just switches unnecessarily way too much. If it's a good screen and you can't get over it, then you switch. But just the mere formality of someone just standing and setting a screen that's not even a good screen and you still switch, that doesn't make any sense to me. And time after time, the Celtics just kept switching off mediocre screens. And I know a lot of people aren't going to be here to be locked in on screen talk, but this is what the type of shit you get here where you have to look at the game within the game. And these are the little things that will cost you a championship. How does a team with seven, eight, nine lottery picks not be able to get a championship? When it was the boy genius and... They couldn't figure out pick and rolls against the Heat to save their lives in the bubble. Couldn't figure it out. And it wasn't even about switching. They just couldn't handle traps off of it. Or hedging or blitzing. They just couldn't figure it out. They didn't know what to do. 
at least Udoka figured out, all right, we're just going to switch. But then after getting switched cheesed up and switching on screens that weren't even actually good set screens, you have to adjust. And it just didn't happen for the Celtics. And for a team that could only crack 100 once in six games, for a team that was 500 at home in the entire playoffs, and a team that at towards the back half of the series dropped 18 turnovers in game four and 22 more in game six, both games at home, by the way, I don't know what more you can ask. This team is in need of a point guard, but a facilitating one. They've tried the scoring ones. It didn't work. Didn't work with Isaiah Thomas. Didn't work with Kyrie. And didn't work with Kemba. Now they have Marcus Smart, who's not really a point guard, playing point guard. And we now have seen that's not going to work. So now what? Who can you go get if you're the boy genius to facilitate that role, to fill that hole? Pause. As the blue check boys and the new media go crazy trying to reassess where Steph Curry is, I've seen him, you know, Andre Iguodala, part of that hashtag new media, jumped out the window, said now Steph Curry is the greatest point guard of all time. When Steph Curry's not even a point guard. <laughs> How is he a point guard? <laughs> Man, is never a point guard. Like, I don't know what he's watching. Like it says point guard, but it's not. Kenny Atkinson just reneged on MJ. Kenny Atkinson of the Nets, former Nets coach, was given a lot of hype, a lot of praise for what the Nets did prior to Kyrie and Slim Reaper pulling up with the likes of Karis LeVert, uh, Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie. He was the assistant coach, or I guess still currently is the assistant coach for the Golden State Warriors because he was supposed to be named. The Blue Check Boys jumped out there and said Kenny Atkinson had agreed to become the Charlotte Hornets' new coach. Now all of a sudden he has reneged and is going back to Golden State to be the head assistant coach for Steve Kerr. Now that to me means there could be a move, a larger move afoot. Could Steve Kerr pull a boy genius, take it upstairs, and then have Kenny Atkinson down on the floor handling the real business, dealing with the real pressure of being the game-in, game-out head coach, while Steve Kerr now with nine rings gets to kick it upstairs and chill. Is that the reason why you turned on MJ and turned on LaMelo? And turn out Bug Night. Or maybe it's, you know, Bridges out there sipping lean. <laughs> what was he thinking? As if the rats were in the mess. Before we go any further, I would just like to thank all of those who were able to pull up and uh, help me recap some of these NBA Finals games. I wasn't able to get everyone that I wanted on every single recap, but uh, we were able to make it do what it do, and I'm very appreciative. So thank you to Chenair Van who came on for Game 5. I'd like to thank Corey from the Not That Serious podcast, who came on for Game 4. Uh, let me see, Game 3, we didn't have anybody. Game 2, we had Shake from the End of Regulation podcast. And for Game 1, we had the homies Abdiel and Oso from the Roundtable. So, salute to all of them for helping me uh, recap these NBA Finals. These NBA Finals were really important to me, man, because not only was I able to you know, do these recap pods, but I was able to bring people on and, you know, get differing opinions. And that's something I want to continue to do here more. So 
being able to invite people on just for an episode and just kind of kick it, that will be something I will be, I will be doing more of in the near future. So if you like those episodes, continue to lock in, continue to subscribe, and we're going to keep this train rolling. So as you know, the NBA season has come to a close. But this is no longer, as it has been for about a couple of years now, this is no longer an NBA-only podcast. So you will continue to get episodes. You will continue to get content from me. Now I can kind of shift things as we have the NBA draft coming up next week. So I will give you a pod next week. It won't be all about the NBA draft, but I will be able to break down some stuff. I have some plays that I've been keeping my eye on. And not all of them are going to be top five lottery picks, by the way. I got some sleepers for you. But now we're going to transition into football. And transitioning into football and training camps and OTAs, we're going to get heavily involved into that. And that also means we can finally drop season two of Trash Narrative. So be on the lookout for that. I will definitely keep you updated here. Subscribe to the YouTube link in the uh, podcast description if you haven't already. Always appreciative of that. As we shift away from NBA season and transition into video content season and the beginning of a new NFL football season. So... Let me go ahead and hit that drop. You know what it is. Appreciate y'all for listening. Man, long ass season. A lot of pods, a lot of episodes, a lot of content was dropped. Uh, The numbers have been steadily growing and I'm appreciative of all of you who have helped contribute that. All the likes, all the retweets, all the shares very much indebted to you all y'all have been loyal and faithful i know my schedule sometimes is erratic so the pods can't drop on a consistent day but when they drop y'all are right there so always appreciative of that for the sam d podcast i'm the sam d i'm out